This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Queen delivers today's teaching. This is the third message in the series, Unscripted. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. Welcome to 12 Stone and week three of our series, Unscripted. And in, the script, in this series, we're talking about those unscripted moments in life, those unplanned, unpredictable moments that, that make life extraordinary. And, uh, and, and those moments that weren't written into our script, and here's where we've got to be honest, is each one of us has a script. I mean, all of us have this, this idea of how we think things should go. We've got dreams, and we've got plans, and we've got goals, and we've got this preferred future for our lives. We all have a script. Maybe it's that you graduate from that college with that major so that you can get the dream job and get the dream spouse and build the dream house with the white picket fence and the two and a half kids running around in the yard. That's the average, two and a half. You know that, right? And so you got this dream about how things should go. And so, so we, we make plans, right? We make plans for the future. It's why we make five-year plans and 10-year plans. And it's why we put goals on the calendar. It's why we map out our month and view it at a glance. That's why we, make, we schedule appointments and we, we have our agenda. We have, we have our schedule for the day. We have our to-do list. I mean, there are to-do list lovers. Any to-do list lovers in the house, just go ahead and confess. Yep. We know who you are. I mean... You just get like this, you get, you're a little bit neurotic about that, that emotional charge that you get from just crossing something off that list, right? How many of you are married to a to-do list lover and they try to help you by making lists for you? Okay, so that just feels better to point them out. But I mean, there's just, there are people who love to-do lists. And here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with making lists. There's nothing wrong with making, you should make plans. You, must, you should have strategies. You should have goals. We are future-oriented Beings, God has made us that way to look into the future. And scripture says that many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord orders his steps. Like we, we make plans, but here's the problem. We can get so locked into our plans. We can get so locked into our agenda. We can get so, get so locked into our script for our lives that we miss out on what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. Because most of the time when God wants to move in somebody's life, it comes disguised as an interruption. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. When God works in our lives, it's usually disguised as an interruption. It shows up as an interruption. And here's the deal. Because we have a script, we hate interruptions. We all hate interruptions because we've got our deal. We've got our thing. We've got our plans. We've got our schedule for the day. We've got the stuff we've got to accomplish. We're type A. We're driven. We've, we've got stuff we need to do. And interruptions get in the way. And so we come up with all kinds of tools to try to minimize the interruption in our lives, to, to interruption-proof our lives. So like, well, even with the phone, I mean, you think about the phone, you can, you can silence your phone. You can send people straight to voicemail. Right? You can... Uh, you can call our ID. You can call block somebody. You can even use your phone as a shield. Let's say you're at the grocery store and you see that neighbor who doesn't have the gift of short conversations. You can just put it up like this. Yep. And just act like, don't judge me because you've done it too. And so you're walking through the grocery store. You aren't even talking to anybody. You got the phone next to your ear, just nodding your head. And only you know, this thing is a shield. See, we, we want to block interruptions from our lives. And so, like, think about it. You go, to the, you go to a hotel, you can take the phone off the hook. You even go to a hotel, and you show up at that hotel room, and let's just say that, let's say you, you know, you're, 
you're getting away with your, with your spouse. Or let's say, let's say you, just, you just need some rest, you just need some sleep, or, or maybe it's a special occasion with your spouse. That's why they make these. This little sign says, do not disturb, and you can just take that little sign and you can put it right out there just to protect that time that you have with your, with your spouse without the kids. My mentor told me, he said, Kevin, you want to know how to spice up your marriage? He said, just get behind a door with some numbers on it. Some of you guys are trying to figure out if you can go to Home Depot on the way home and get some numbers and put them up there on the door, right? And so, so, we, <laughs> so we, we got this little handy little thing that we put on there. And what we're saying to the world is we're saying, don't interrupt me. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't want what you're selling. I don't want what you're bringing. I don't want what you got. It doesn't matter if you're the bellhop or if you're the cleaning crew, your hospitality or the manager. You can be the CEO of Marriott Properties. Don't come to this door. I don't want anybody in the world interrupt me. And listen, it's great for vacation. But where we get in trouble is when that's the dominant disposition of our lives. When we, when we walk around with do not disturb on our hearts and in our minds, because very rarely when God does something big in the earth, when God does something big in someone's life, very rarely does it begin with a human agenda. See, most of the time for God to do something in your life, he has to interrupt your script. I mean, just think back through the scriptures. It's a theme that runs through these divine interruptions. You think back through Noah, Noah, you got this thing going, but I'm going to bring a flood and I want you to build an ark. Moses, I want you to leave being a shepherd in the wilderness and I want you to go and I want you to go toe to toe with Pharaoh and be a leader of a nation. David, I want you to leave being a shepherd boy and I want you to go toe to toe with Goliath and I'll anoint you to be king. Gideon, I want you to leave your hiding place and I want you to, I want you to lead the people against the Midianites. See, God's call often begins as an interruption. Jonah, I want you to leave and I want you to go and I want you to lead a revival in Nineveh. I mean, Jesus showed up and he was an interruption to Mary and Joseph's engagement. See, anything great that God has done in people's lives throughout history has come first as an, as an interruption. And when we interruption proof our lives, when we resist the interruptions, we miss out oftentimes on what God wants to do. And, and you don't find God interrupting people's lives to call them to do something that's easy, something that's safe, something that's comfortable, something that's convenient. I mean, most of the time when God calls somebody to do something, it's usually something that's outside of their comfort zone. And see, I believe for this reason, I think the most dangerous place on the planet is your comfort zone. Because it's in your comfort zone that you're most at risk of missing out on what God has called you to, what he's created you for. And so when, when God wants to interrupt your life, he calls you to do things that are uncomfortable. And sometimes God interrupts our lives, if you're taking notes, sometimes God interrupts our lives with a dislocated heart. With a dislocated heart. A while back, PK taught a series called Great and Awesome. If you missed it, you need to go back online, watch it. It's a great series. And in the series, he talks about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and Nehemiah had this great job, power, privilege, prestige, and one day he got the news that back in his hometown, back in Jerusalem, that the walls had been torn down and that the people were defenseless and they were destitute and that they were, they were hopeless and that they were helpless. And when Nehemiah heard the news about the walls in Jerusalem, it just broke his heart. He knew he had to do something. It says he wept and he couldn't unknow what he knew. And so he had to respond. He, it began with a dislocated heart. I, uh, I had a chance last year to go to Jerusalem and actually see the walls 
And there's a section of the wall that here we are 2,500 years later, there's a section of the wall that Nehemiah actually helped rebuild. And it just, it reinforced this, this in my mind that, you know what, that there are things that God wants to build up in the earth, but before he can build them up, before God can create those things first, he has to, he has to find somebody that says, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? God, would you dislocate? He had to, there had to be a man, there had to be a woman, there has to be somebody who says, God, you can, you can disturb my life. You can disrupt my life, God. You can break my heart for what breaks yours, and then you have no idea what God is exceedingly more than what you can ask or imagine what God could do through you. But he needs somebody who says, God, I'll surrender the script. I'll give the script to you. And, and that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about unscripted. We're looking about what the Bible has to say about how do we deal with these unpredictable moments in life. And so at the same time, we're, we're leaning into the story of Ernie Johnson, who's a 12 stoner NBA sportscaster, and the story of his life. There's extraordinary things that God has done in his story. And uh, on Easter, we shared about how 20 years ago, Ernie at, a, at an O'Charlie's prayed to receive Christ. I mean, the O'Charlie's with the rolls and prayed to receive, that was a good day. And just <laughs> prayed to receive Christ. And it was, it, was, it was that prayer that changed his story, that changed the script. God had a bigger plan for his life and he surrendered to God's plan. And PK reminded us that you're only a prayer away from being in a relationship with Christ. Only prayer away. And then last weekend, Ernie shared his story about his battle with cancer and fear and doubt. And those two words, trust God, period. It's how he battled. It's how he prevailed. It's how he overcame. And then today, you get to share the story of Ernie's family. Ernie and Cheryl, they've got a beautiful family, and God has done incredible things. It's a remarkable story of adoption and of love and how God has woven things together in an unscripted way. A story I'm excited to be able to share with you. Check this out. Bernard Johnson's the nicest guy in the world. But the stuff he's taken on in his personal life, that's why we all respect him. But he we had two kids, um, a boy and a girl, and that seemed again like, hey, here comes the script. Until my wife watches the ABC uh, show 2020, and this is back in 1990, 91. And here's the story of these Romanian orphans um, being warehoused, uh, many of them because of their imperfections, because of their disabilities, because of their handicaps, and they're just forgotten. I came home from work one day and Cheryl's like, you know what we need to do? I think we need to go to Romania and get one of these kids out of that orphanage. I go, and see, look, I kind of gave it that because I know Cheryl, and I know as we were dating, and I'm, in, I'm out there working, she's still in college at Mercer, and she's working her way through college, working a couple of jobs, and when she's not working, she's in the Big Sisters program mentoring this teenage girl down there in Macon. So look, I knew her heart. Uh, this didn't fit the script, but it fit our lives somehow. Anybody out there who's, 
who's been through the adoption process knows about the paperwork that's involved and about the background checks and the home studies. They want to know, do you want to adopt a boy? Do you want to adopt a girl? How old should they be? How about handicaps? That kind of thing. And, and so our decision was little girl, under a year old, no permanent handicaps, some, you know, and, then, and that's the way we wrote the script because that's what we could handle. And as it turns out, um, Cheryl goes there and the first orphanage that she visits uh, in this village outside of Bucharest, um, they bring out the nurses bring out this little boy who's almost three. Can't walk, can't talk. And lots of developmental delays. We're on the phone, and she says, so, you know, I, I think I've found a child to adopt. And, and she goes into this description. That's not exactly, you know, that's not what we kind of talked about. It's not what we told the, the agency, you know. And, you know, I, I'll never forget what she said. I mean, it's like, she said, Ernie, I just don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to that little boy in that orphanage in Romania. And the nurse who had brought this boy out looked at Cheryl and said, Boy is no good. And look, I don't, I mean, every, I've told this story a million times and I still have trouble getting through it. Because I, because I don't know exactly what was going on in my mind at that very second when she said, I just don't know what I'll do if, you know, I can go through the rest of my life wondering what happened to that boy. But there was something in her voice and knowing her heart. I just said, we'll bring him home. Sometimes over a scratchy phone line, halfway around the world, You just know. And then the unscripted continued to happen. You take them to the doctor and within a year, and they tell you he's got muscular dystrophy. And then they tell you he's got the worst kind, Duchenne. There's no cure. And then you say, should we have stuck to the script? And that's just honest. I mean, that's just, you do. You Sometimes you question yourself. I had people ask me, I guess if you had known he had muscular dystrophy when Cheryl was there, you wouldn't have done it. I mean, I struggled with how to answer it without hurting somebody's feelings. Because we already had two kids and we have absolutely no guarantee that 10 minutes from now the phone's not gonna ring and it's gonna be some catastrophic 
situation that's going to change our lives totally. If I get that phone call, am I supposed to say, no, we never should have had that kid. No, we never should have had children if this was going to happen. No, you don't do that. You just say, how are we going to deal with this? Not, I wish we hadn't done it. You know, we adopt him when he's almost three. He didn't say a word till he was eight. One day when he was eight years old, he went, Mike. And then it was, love you too, his favorite thing to say. You don't have to tell him first. He will tell you when he meets you. Love you too. And, and uh, you know, I just think that that comes from a lot of years of, while he couldn't speak, he heard it a lot. He heard it on our, around our family because it was said all the time. And he picked that up. So he's in high school and, you know, he's tooling around in his chair. And, and the first varsity basketball coach is this guy from Indiana, you know, a basketball hotbed who's come down to football country to coach high school basketball. His name is Phil Bolier. And, and Phil is in the hallways at Mill Creek High School. And here's this wheelchair, the whir of this wheelchair, and he kind of follows that sound, and it's Michael going into his room. And Phil goes in there and, and starts talking to him. And then Phil turns to leave and go out to the trailer where he teaches, and Michael says, love you too. Which causes Coach Bolier to stop and turn on his heel and say, what? Love you too, Bolier. I get a note in Michael's backpack from this basketball coach. I'd never met him. I'm Phil Bolier. I'm the new head basketball coach at Mill Creek High School. I met your son today. He's got to be on my team. You realize he's in a wheelchair, correct? You know. So we sit and we, and we meet in the parking lot at Mill Creek. And I said, tell me what's up. What do you want to do? He says, he said, I need your son to teach my players two things, maximum effort and a heart for others. He said, maximum effort because you know, he can't do much, but everything he can do is with everything he's got and, and, and heart for others because this love you too thing is awesome. He said, I want him teaching my players love you too. So he would go to all the games. He'd sit right behind the bench, right behind Coach Bolier, And uh, before the games, he'd be in the locker room and the players would all put their hands on his hand and say, one, two, three, Hawks, and they'd take the floor. And, and this tells you about the impact that Michael had through Coach Bolier, because this whole love you too thing was being taught in the classrooms too. Anybody know what this means? He said, it means I love you in sign language. And if you if you tip your index finger at the person you're talking to, it means love you too. And on senior night, Michael goes up to get his blanket, and we're standing behind him as he's driving his chair. And they come out and they give it to him. And folks cheer, and I look up in this student section in the corner, and they're all standing like this. And I think, only God connects dots like this. Only God takes a basketball coach from Indiana, puts him in Hushton, Georgia, and takes a kid from Urza Chanu in a Romanian orphanage and sticks him in Hushton, Georgia and sticks them together in a gym and teaches a bunch of high schoolers in big old Gwinnett County, love you too.
guy can write a story like that. I want to apologize that we didn't have tissues under all the seats. So our bad. Hmm. Only God can write a story like that, the sovereign hand of God at work. But I want you to see that he worked through a dislocated heart and through divine interruptions. Cheryl's heart was, was dislocated. She saw the 2020 special and she knew she had to do something. So she got on a flight, went to Romania, there in the orphanage, held Michael. And she said, I don't think I can live the rest of my life not knowing what happens to this little boy. And her heart was filled with love for this little boy. And Ernie said, bring him home. They had dislocated hearts. And then an interruption. Coach Phil walking down the hall at Mill Creek High School and he hears the world of a wheelchair and he's got tests to grade and students to teach and ball to coach. But he, he gets interrupted and he goes back and he has a conversation with Michael. In the course of the conversation, Michael finishes with, I love you too. And th those words echo in Phil's heart and in his mind and he can't shake them. He can't get over them. And so he goes and invites Michael to be a part of the team. And through that, an entire high school learns, love you too. Dislocated hearts and divine interruptions. And Ernie and Cheryl and Michael and Phil were all interruptible. And when I, when I hear that story, and the reason that it moves us like that is because it reminds us of Jesus. Because the gospel's in the story. And when you go through the gospels, you find that Jesus was always being interrupted. In fact, when you go back through and you read through the gospels and it's in your notes, all of Jesus' miracles began as interruptions. All of the miracles began as interruptions. Jesus was teaching one time. It's a packed house. There are people all around and folks can't even get in. It's standing room only. And then he hears a noise and, 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 and ceiling tiles start to fall and, and people start digging through the roof and they start digging through the room. They dig a hole and then they lower down their friend. That's an interruption. They lower down their friend to Jesus, their paralyzed friend. And Jesus interrupted. He heals the man. One time he's walking with the disciples and he's teaching and they're having a conversation and this man, blind man, Bartimaeus, yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus goes over and he, and he heals him. That was an interruption. One time Jesus is in the boat and he's taking a nap and a storm comes and the wind and waves, they, they, they pick up and the disciples are freaking out. They think they're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. They go back. They say, somebody go and wake up Jesus because that's a good thing to do if you think you're going to die. And they go to wake up. And how many of you like to be woken up from a nap? I mean, that's an interruption. And they wake up Jesus from the nap. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he calms the storm and calms the disciples. There was one time when Jesus gets out of the boat and he gets on the shore and this big crowd comes up to him and the synagogue ruler Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, he says, Jesus, my daughter, she's 12 and she's dying. She needs to be healed. Jesus was interrupted. He goes with Jesus as they're walking through the crowd. Crowd's pressing in and Jesus looks at the disciples. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There are a lot of people touching you. And Jesus said, no, 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 somebody touched me. I felt power go from me. He said, who touched me? And a woman down on the ground, she had reached up and she had touched the hem of, her, hem of his garment. And she said, I touched you. And she had been sick for 12 years, spent all of her money on doctors, reached out and touched the hem of his garment, believing that Jesus could heal her. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Go, you're well. That was an interruption of an interruption. And then Jesus goes and, and the synagogue ruler, his daughter is, has now died and everybody's there around. Now they're having a funeral. And Jesus goes and he raises from the dead. He interrupted death. Jesus is constantly being interrupted and Jesus, his miracles are a response to those interruptions. One time he was at a religious leader's house and he's sitting there at the house and this prostitute crashes the party, comes in the party and she falls at his feet and she begins to weep. And Jesus 
interrupted in the dinner. He looked at her and he, she was no interruption. He said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is constantly being interrupted. You could say his ministry is being interrupted. Or you could also say that interruptions were his ministry. And I wonder what God would do in our lives and through our lives if we would just recognize that these, these interruptions, many of these interruptions come from him. But listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every interruption comes from God. Sometimes we just have a hard time paying attention. Squirrel. I mean, sometimes there are just there are moments where we just we just have a difficult time paying attention. But then there are other times where, where God is using interruptions to set up fertile soil for, for the supernatural, for him to do things in somebody else's life and that we would be able to see those moments. But, but so what happens so often is that we have this do not disturb. God, I got my thing going. I got my deal going. God, don't disturb me. And God wants us to give, a, wants to give us a heart like his, that we would have interruptible lives and that we would take the do not disturb sign off our hearts and say, God, I want, I want what you have for me. There's this verse that's hidden away in the Old Testament. I want to share it with you. It's a powerful verse. Put it on the screen. It comes from 2 Chronicles. It says, For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. What this verse tells us is that God is actively searching, that he's looking throughout the earth and he's going, give me somebody, just give me somebody who would have a heart that would be surrendered. And if they'll give me a surrendered heart, then I will strongly support them. I'll bring the resources of heaven to them. I will bring what they need. I will bring the strength that they need if somebody will just be surrendered to me. If they'll have a heart that will say, God, you can break my heart for what breaks yours. God, interrupt my life. I mean, we can pray that prayer, but it's hard to do. I mean, just this week, I was on Wednesday, I was working on the message and I was like, you know what would help that? I need a cup of coffee. And so I went to Starbucks and went and got a cup of coffee and I'm standing in line and the guy in, the guy in front of me was a resident, an intern here at 12 Stone two years ago who moved to California and he just happens to be in Hamilton Mill standing in front of me at the Starbucks. And as he stands there, we start having a conversation. I sense that prompt of God, you know what? You need to ask him how he's doing, talk with him, sit down with him, share a cup of coffee, pray with him, pray for him. I'm like, God, I can't, I gotta go write a message. I got to go write a message on how, how we need to be interruptible. <laughs> I got all the pressure of trying to write that message, God. I, I really don't have time for this. And you know why I'm sharing the story with you. Because I sat down with you. If I didn't sit down with you, I wouldn't be sharing the story. But. And so we sat down and we had a cup of coffee and we just talked for a little bit. And I just heard a little bit of how it was going on. And it was, just, it was one of those appointments. God just set up and I had a chance to pray with him. And it was powerful. God showed up. Here's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that God's activity in his life was limited to me. See, I think if I didn't stop, I think God would have used somebody else. That would have been my loss. Because then I, didn't, I wouldn't have got the joy and the privilege of serving in that moment. See, I, it's not all about, it doesn't center around us. It's a, his sovereign activity in the world is not limited to us. But God's saying, just give me somebody who's willing, somebody who's available, somebody who's set down their schedule and their agenda for mine, and I will strongly support them. I'll bring the resources of heaven behind them. But how do you know? Like, how do you know when it's an interruption from God and when it's spiritual ADD? Like, how do you know, how do you know when, God's, when God's really, when he's interrupting? That's what I want to talk about. In fact, I want us to look at John chapter 15 in the Worship Center Bible. It's a passage I've been hanging out in for the past couple weeks. And John chapter 15, it's page 1082. And it's one of the last conversations that Jesus 
has with the disciples before he gives them the keys, before he goes to the cross, before he ascends to heaven. It's one of the last teachings that he has. And he's going to teach them, okay, how do you carry this movement? How do you continue this movement? Page 1082, John chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 5. We're going to be able to look at two verses in this chapter. I encourage you to go read it. It's a great chapter. Great passage. The scholars tell us that this is after he's had the, the last supper with the disciples, after they've, they've had the, the communion together, after, after he, he leaves that place, walks down through the Kidron Valley, and he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they tell us that he would have walked through a vineyard. And as he's walking through the vineyard with the disciples, that's where he stops for an object lesson. Verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you can bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're taking notes, I want you to know when to go off script. And the first one is, the first thing that helps us in that is remain in me. Jesus said, I want you to remain in me. That word remain is an important word in this passage. It shows up nine times in 15 verses. Jesus keeps retweeting it, getting it out there. He's going, yeah, I want you to remain in me. And that word remain means to, some translations, abide. It means to dwell. It means to live in. Jesus said, I want you to make yourself at home in me. I want you to stay connected with me. I want you to live with this awareness of my presence. And all the time, awareness that I am with you. So when you get up in the morning, Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm with you when you go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror. Ladies, I'm with you when you pull out your toolbox and start to go to work. Guys, I'm with you when you look in the mirror and go, that's all I got to work with. I mean, guys, I'm with you when you're eating your golden grams and I'm with you when you're in your car and you're driving 85 and going to work. Although Jesus might ask you, why did you go 85? I mean, there's, there's just, there, he's saying, I'm with you when you go in the office and I'm with you when you go in that big meeting and I'm with you when you go in the classroom and I'm, I'm with you when you come back home and your kids want to jump on you like a trampoline because they're all jacked up on Easter candy that they're rationing out so that they can just stay jacked up. And then, and then he's saying, I am, I'm with you. I'm with you when, you when you lay down and when you go to sleep. I'm with you. Jesus said, I'm with you all the time. And listen, when you remain in him, when, you, when you're in this communication with him, with awareness of his presence, you realize, here's what you realize, it's not your life. See, a lot of times we hate interruptions because you're interrupting my deal. But when you have an awareness of his presence, you realize it's not your life. When you surrendered your life to him, it became his life. See, Jesus, what do you want to bring my way? What do you want to do in my day? And Jesus says, remain in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. Listen, it's not your job to bear fruit. Job one for you is to remain in him, to abide in him. And if you abide in him, if you remain in him, if you live with this awareness of his presence throughout your day, then he'll bear the fruit in you. It's his spirit at work in you. But let me tell you something that helps me more than anything else in this remaining in him. And if you're taking notes, you can fill in the blanks. Uninterrupted time with God prepares you for interruptions in your day. Uninterrupted time with God prepares you for interruptions throughout your day. Why? Because God knows the interruptions he's going to bring your way. And if you'll spend uninterrupted time with him, if you'll close the door, if the first voice that you listen to, you sit down, you read his word, you spend some time in prayer. I'll put on some worship music. And before the kids are up, get that first cup of coffee and spend that first cup of coffee with him. And in that uninterrupted time, he prepares me for the interruptions throughout the day. This was Jesus' pattern in his life. Before he went out and did ministry, he pulled away to solitary places, to solitude, and he spent time with the father. This was his rhythm in life. Don't we need it as our rhythm in life? Uninterrupted time with God prepares him, prepares us for interruptions in our day. And it's just resting in him, it's abiding in him, it's dwelling in him, it's the awareness of his presence. Which leads us to the second thing we 
we do to recognize God's interruption. Number two, love each other. Verse 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Listen, Michael's theology is great. Look at 1 John, this scripture. 1 John chapter 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. In other words, I love you too. See, our love for God is because he first loved us. He loved us first. He extended his love first when you were at your worst, when you were, when you were down in the pit, when, when you were strung out, when you, when you had nothing to offer him. God said, I love you fully and I love you faithfully. At the cross, he shows his love for us. When we were at our worst, he loved us. He loved us as much as he loves us when we were at our best. His love is unending. It's unyielding. It's all the time. And he loves us first. So at best, our love is just a response to him. When we worship and we sing songs to God, God does, his love for us does not increase. Listen, our worship is our response to God's love. It's just a response that we give. And when we love other people around us, when we, when we give and we serve and we share and we give sacrificially and we love people in ways that, that are inconvenient and uncomfortable, what we're demonstrating, what we're demonstrating is that God has loved us first and God loves them and we love them too. See, when you, when you stop and you, you listen to someone or you pray for someone, not saying, you know what, I'll pray for you, but you actually stop right there and you pray for them. Or you help someone, or you go out of your way to minister to a neighbor. What you're saying is God loves you and I love you too. I love you too. It's great theology. It's what our love for God is. It's what our love for others is. It's I love you too. And when you stop and you're interrupted to love someone else, that's fertile soil for a miracle. You have no idea what God could do in you and what God could do through you. But if you're uninterruptible, you'll have no idea. Because interruptions is where God does his finest work. Jesus wants to know, can I interrupt you? Can I interrupt your plans? Can I disturb your heart? Can I break your heart for the things that, that break mine? Can I take you off script and give you a life, lead you to a life where you'd make an extraordinary difference in this world? He wants to know if you're interruptible. In, in Revelation chapter three, I think it's verse 20, we're gonna put it up on the screen. Jesus is talking to the church in Revelation. He's talking to the church and he's, he's telling the church his desire, his heart. And the church that he's talking to in this passage saying they, they, they thought they had it all together. They thought they had everything they knew. They were very prosperous and they had, they had you know, everything kind of positioned. And Jesus said, you, you look like on the outside like you have it all together. But here's the deal. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What Jesus wants to know. He stands at the door and knocks. What he wants to know is, will you take the do not disturb sign off? So that I can come in and we can have relationship. It's not about religion, but so that we can have relationship. And I can lead you to a life that makes a difference in this world in your lifetime and also for eternity. My plans, my dreams are so much bigger for you. 
bigger than anything you can imagine. But you have to lay down your script and welcome his. And so I wonder, in a room like this, I imagine there are several different groups of people. There's one group of people where today you realize you've been so locked into your plans and maybe God has dislocated your heart, but maybe you keep hitting the snooze button. Not now. And God's led you this moment, this day, for you to begin to follow him in that, to take that next step, to follow the passion that's in your heart, to step off script, even though it may not make sense, but to step off script to fulfill what he's called you to do. Maybe for some, it's to, today, to begin a relationship with God. He's been knocking and he's been patient and you've been resisting, but the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know why? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. And Jesus is knocking at your heart today. He went to the cross for you to forgive your sin. He's done everything that he could do. And now he just knocks and he waits. And if you want the life that he has for you, you gotta lay down your script and take up his and say yes to him. It begins with a yes, it begins with a prayer. You're only a prayer away. And so what I wanna do is I wanna lead you into a moment. If you've never begun a relationship with God, just like Ernie prayed at O'Charlie's, a prayer that changed his life and changed his eternity. If, if you wanna begin that relationship with your heavenly father, place your faith in Jesus, you can do that right now. In fact, I'm gonna put a prayer on the screen. This has been a, a prayer that we've leaned into throughout this series. And this would be your response to Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. So if you're ready, I wanna lead you in this prayer. And I'm gonna ask at the church that we pray this together just in support of those who are, who are saying this and praying this for the very first time. It's not magic words, it's the desire of your heart that this would be your prayer. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, you can, you can pray this with us. Let's pray it together, church. Heavenly Father, I believe you created me, but my sin has separated me from you. Please forgive me through the work of Jesus. Restore me to being your child as I now commit to follow you as Lord of my life. Thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And what does all of heaven do when even one person says yes to Father? There is a party and there is a celebration in heaven. And so what we want to do is we want to help you know how to take the next steps. Pastor Mark's going to step out and help us with that. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kevin. Man, if you made that prayer today, um, we couldn't be more excited for you. But we also want to be able to help come alongside of you with some next steps. So we'd invite you to take that contact card on your bulletin and you can check that box, my recent decision, uh, my recent decision for Christ. And we want to be able to help come alongside of you. Now, we also know for many of you, uh, you may not be ready to take that step yet, but God may be stirring something in you. It maybe was today or over these last few weeks together, and, and we want to be able to have a conversation. We'd love the opportunity, I'd love the opportunity to be able to sit across a cup of coffee and, and hear what questions about faith you might have or just hear what you feel like God might be stirring in you. So you can check a box on that contact card right down there. It says, God is messing with me. I'd like to be able to talk to a pastor. And so myself or one of the pastors at the campus would love that opportunity to have a personal conversation uh, with you. So go ahead and start filling out those information because we're gonna take our offering here in just a moment together. 
But before we receive that offering, I wanna invite you to pray with me. And we wanna pray, especially over those who made a decision today, but, but over all of us. And so would you bow your heads in prayer? So Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your presence here in this room and really in our lives. And God, we thank you for those who said yes to you today, Jesus. Thank you for those who are inviting you into the script of their life where it's Jesus, you're entering the scene and we pray that you would take the lead role. As much as we can celebrate it as a church, God, we believe that you in heaven celebrates this even more. So we pray for those, Lord, that the faith today would take root in their life and they would grow and become fruitful. Would you protect them from the evil one, whatever doubts, whatever lies he would try to bring into their lives to distract them from you, God. Help protect them and guide them. And Lord Jesus, I would pray for all of us, God. Would you help all of us to live with an awareness of your presence in our lives, to recognize, God, that, that you are here with us, and so, Lord, I pray as, as we go forward in life, would you just remind us that you love us, remind us that, you're, that we are your children, and help us to live that way, God. Help us to live with the awareness that you are with us and that you are for us, God. And I would pray even this week, would you help us to be prepared and aware for the interruptions? God, I, I pray you'll even set us up with an interruption where we can see it as an opportunity to help point others to you, Lord Jesus. So thank you. We pray this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.